Salutations and welcome back to the Chemistry Cake online podcast where chatting about chemistry has never been sweeter. Chemistry Cake is indeed online and we have got a special treat for you today, folks. I am here with a good friend of mine, Jessie Morton. Uh, She graduated from UC Berkeley with a bachelor's degree in chemistry in 2011, received her master's degree from UC San Diego in 2016, and is currently a PhD candidate at UCSD in the Cohen Lab, which I might mention is basically 10 paces away from the lab I work in. So I think it's safe to say that she is a very cool human, especially since her favorite cake flavor is all of them, because cake cake is the best. Cake is the best. It's true. Um... I should also mention that she has been mentoring me in how to navigate graduate school as a woman in STEM, which is has been super amazing. And we also have morning chats about science and life and whatever else we end up chatting about. So, Jesse, thanks so much for being here today. It has been so long since I last saw you, like half an hour ago. Minutes. <laughs> how have you been? I, I have been well. I am... Doing just chugging along in lab, answering emails, doing science. Sounds like a grad student. That's pretty much all I do all day, yeah. (laughs) So speaking of science, as I understand it, you work with metal organic frameworks or MOFs, and if I'm being completely honest, I have a very vague understanding about this topic. So... Tell me a little more about these MOFs. Yeah, happy to. Um, MOFs are metal organic frameworks. MOFs, that's with an F on the end, um, are really fascinating to me. And they're kind of, I wouldn't say a new area of study because researchers have been playing around with them since the early 90s, if not before, depending on who you ask. Um, they've, they really kind of established themselves in the 90s. And they're fascinating because they're actually mostly empty space. So when you think about porous materials, materials that are kind of empty on the inside, you could think about a sponge, like your kitchen sink sponge. Um, And then if you just took that and scaled it way, 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 way down and made it crystalline, something like table salt, um, then that's kind of approaches what a a moth is. Um, It's basically metal nodes, metal centers connected in series by long, rigid linkers uh, in the exact same way, which leaves a crystalline structure that has identical pockets of empty space throughout it. And these pockets are on the order of a couple of molecules big, um, and it makes them really useful for all kinds of things. That's really cool. So I... I you, know, you mentioned um, that this is a crystalline structure, but you also mentioned that it's kind of like a sponge. So are these moths soft or are they hard like a crystal? Oh, that's a, well, that's a good question. When you're kind of playing around with them just in lab, you know, with your gloved hands. Um, <laughs> safety first, kids. Safety third. Um, safety third? Oh, <laughs> I guess I can't say that. Safety first. Safety first. Um, When you're playing around with them in lab, they can have the appearance of something like baby powder or confectioner sugar, um, all the way on up to something with a larger grain size, something like a table salt or like a a regular sugar. Um, And that just has to do with how these things form from solution Mm -hmm. and the actual size of the crystal. So they aren't really soft in any kind of way. They look kind of powdery by the eye, but these are pretty hard materials. Uh, You can really be up on them and the, the crystal structure mostly stays intact. Oh, interesting. So if you were to pack, say, like the powder, then it wouldn't, like, it would be fairly 
dense and compact and hard. Yeah, yeah, you can compact these powders. People, this is one way people are looking at using moths is compacting the powders into pellets. Mm-hmm. Generally, when you do that, you use some kind of binder material to really hold them together. Otherwise, they can kind of fall apart into a flaky mess. Um, it just depends, again, on which moth you're looking at because these things come in all different types. So depending on the metal you use, depending on the linker you use, and depending on kind of the synthesis conditions you use, you can get a completely different material. Um, everything from something that will fall apart the second it sees air, you know, those bonds will be broken and you'll, you'll right. get a big, a big uh, non-crystalline mess, um, to something that can sit around on the bench top for weeks, months, or years and still be okay. Very cool. So, so do you focus on one particular metal and linker, or do you focus on a variety of metals and linkers? Um, so in the Cohen lab, we, we work with a lot of different metals and linkers. Um, we, we are not primarily focused on making new moths. That's an area that a lot of people kind of go into, and they say, okay, I'm going to combine this metal and this linker in a different way and see if we can get a, a moth out of it. Um, but we tend to work with reported materials, and so we'll use syntheses that other people have already made and for this reason we kind of like some of the moths that are really widely reported and that uh, have a lot of different synthesis conditions so you can play around with crystal size crystal shape things like that Um, my favorite moth the one I use most of the time uh, is it's a pretty basic moth I would say (laughs) and if you talk in the in the moth community it's kind of um, a question among professors well what's what's your favorite moth Um, (laughs) Omar Farha, what's your favorite moth, Jeff Long? Um, (laughs) And and they do all have an answer. (laughs) Um, And my answer is a moth called UIO 66. Um, If you start getting into this literature and you look at the naming schemes for these materials, uh, they don't seem to make a ton of sense on the surface. Mm -hmm. And it's because this is definitely like a manifest destiny situation where (laughs) (laughs) if you discover a new moth, you get to name it. And so people name them all kinds of things. Oh, man. It's not really standardized. Um, UIO stands for University in Oslo. So it was discovered by a group in, uh, where is that, Sweden? Um, She's Googling it right now, folks. (laughs) I am. I am Googling it Uh, right now. So she's uh, there there at University in Oslo, and I guess it was the 66th attempt uh, they made. And um, this material is zirconium-based. Um, and it is one of our more stable moths, and you can make it in a range of uh, sizes and shapes and things like that. And it ends up being really useful for me as kind of a stand-in for other moths because I'm making materials that don't really depend on what moth I use. So it's good to start with something basic. So for, to, for the listeners at home, um, Oslo is in Norway. Ah! So she was half right. Half right. Half right. (laughs) right. Well, anyway. Yeah, but that's super cool. That's awesome. So, so this is your favorite moth. Um, do, what are the potential applications of this moth? Well, so moths in general, because of their empty space, people are using them, if you can think of it, kind of like sponges. So in the same way that sponges take up water when you put them in water, uh, a moth will actually just take up whatever environment it's in. Mm. Um, So when you have a moth out in air, uh, the pores, the the empty space inside is filled up with air. When you have it in a liquid, the empty space is filled up with liquid. Um, And depending on which metal you use and sometimes which linker, if you flow a solution through 
through, like either an air, like a, a gas solution or a liquid solution, um, you can actually get selective separation. So if you have a metal that has an open exposed site that can preferentially interact with one species over another, you can imagine that as you flow a mixture over, something that interacts is gonna stick there for a little longer than something that doesn't. So you get a separation of two components. So that's one big area that people are looking at for moths. Um, UIO 66 uh, doesn't show a ton of interesting gas separation properties as far as I know of. But one thing that we're interested in it for, and many other people um, are as well, is its ability to break down uh, molecules and basically act as a catalyst. And specifically, uh, UIO66 can break down harmful molecules called chemical warfare agents. Okay. So when you think about soldiers around the globe who are facing um, chemical warfare agent threats, you're thinking stuff like nerve gas, uh, ammonia gas, things like that. Um, and some of these nerve agents, UIO66, can actually break down. Um, and so one of the applications that we work on in the Cohen Lab is um, looking at how uh, we can incorporate this moth into warfighters' suits and masks to protect them from, like, nerve agents, let's say. That's super. <laughs> wow. So, so yeah. basically what I'm hearing is, like, super suit is in the near future. It's true. I mean, the suits they already have are pretty super on their own, but they're also really heavy right. um, and really, really hot. And mm, so over mm -hmm. time, it can be dangerous for the right. soldiers to wear the suits. Right. So we're trying to make something, and our collaborators in the Army who are funding us, thank you, Army, mm -hmm. um, are also trying to make su suits that are lighter and more comfortable, easier for soldiers to wear for a longer period of time, potentially. That's awesome. And that's, I mean, that's just what UIO 66 does. Um, but most of my research is actually focused on taking the sort of field of moths as a whole and making them more useful. Mm -hmm. um, and so the way that I do that is I'm um, taking these things that kind of act like baby powder. They're right. not really, they're just kind of fluffy and they're just kind of there. I mentioned you can compact them into pellets and things like that. Um, but we don't really live in a world where we can kind of mess around with powders and have them be useful to us. Mm -hmm. This is the age that we live in is the age of plastics, right? Mm -hmm. You look around the room you're in or wherever you are and uh, a ton of stuff around you is going to be made of plastic. So the chairs are made of plastic, your car bumper is made of plastic, your yoga, point, yoga pants are probably made of plastic. Yeah, um, so the idea is how do you take these fluffy, powdery particles and turn them into a plastic? Right. So is that would that then be like a structural uh, endeavor trying to, you know, like linked like them in such a way that it could be like a thread or like a sheet yeah so there's a lot of different routes to this um so i have some coworkers that are working on basically using plastics uh to make moths so uh instead of using individual organic linkers they link them up into a polymer or a plastic is another word for a polymer they link them up and then they can make a moth out of that directly and they're working on how to make that processable turning something completely amorphous non-crystalline into something that's beautiful and crystalline um, my uh, approach is a little bit more um, uh, rough and ready, I guess you could say. It's a little <laughs> bit more um, uh, immediately available. It doesn't take quite so much fine-tuning. I'm basically just taking solutions of these different polymers, these different plastics that are already used for different things in our daily lives, um, and I'm combining them with these particles uh, in such a way that we get a physical mixture in a sheet 
of metal organic framework. So instead of a fluffy powder that kind of blows everywhere, you have a plasticky looking sheet of material that acts just like your powder does. Very cool. So, so these sheets are they are they flexible in terms of and are they ductile? Yeah, um, yeah, they're both of those things. It depends on the polymer you use. So I've used a range of them. I find that the more flexible polymers, the ones with more, um, I guess, conformational flexibility, I guess you could say, um, tend to work better. Mm-hmm. So the ones that, that I'm working with are, are really quite flexible. You can roll these things up. You can fold them in half. Um, you can uh, sort of twist them all around, and they maintain their structural integrity. So what I'm hearing is that sometime in the future, we're going to have yoga pants of this material. (laughs) That is actually something my boss has been known to say in talks. Uh, Because if you think about what a moth does, is uh, basically is all that empty space inside. So it's the perfect uh, wicking material Mm -hmm. for, say, sweat. Mm -hmm. Um, So what he really wants is that Lululemon contract, you know? Uh, Amazing. Amazing. (laughs) Stretchy, moisture-wicking fabric. (laughs) Amazing. That's awesome. Okay, yeah. Uh, Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it's a fun lab to work in. We have a lot, lot going on at any one time. Sounds like it. And it also sounds uh, like you have some really cool research. Uh, thanks for telling me about your science. Yeah, of course. That's... Anyway, um, well, this is such a cool field to study. And I was wondering if you could tell me about who or what inspired you to enter into this field. Um, Yeah, I I wish I could say I had some cool origin story about, you know, porous materials and how they have impacted me throughout my life and things like that. Um, But no, it was just a kind of a normal nerd growing up. I always knew I wanted to do science. I had a really good chemistry teacher in high school. Um, Shout out to Cynthia Chebek. I know you're not listening to this, but you're great. Um, (laughs) She might be. My heroes. Yeah, baby. Who knows? Um, and, uh, and so that's how I got into chemistry in undergrad. I had a really great research experience in undergrad um, in, a, in a lab. I had a great mentor who was a grad student at the time. Um, I did see how what the life of a grad student was, though, at that time, and I decided that it was terrible um, <laughs> and that I was never going to grad school. Um, and here we are. And, and here I am five years later. No, uh, so I took a couple years off, actually, from school. When I graduated undergrad, I uh, worked in the biotech industry briefly, um, and I saw what industry was like, and I was like, I think I'll go back to school. <laughs> <laughs> so... Clearly, I'm making a lot of really smart, long-term decisions here instead of just going with my gut. Um, so, but anyhow, I, so I ended up at UC San Diego um, because this is a great place to be, honestly. Um, and I second uh, that motion. Yes, yes, it's wonderful. There's sunshine, etc. Science, excellent science. That was really what drew me here. There were uh, a few groups that I thought I wanted to join. Um, And uh, my boss, Seth, just really struck me as someone who was uh, just so passionate about science and so interested and um, excited about his students' success. Mm -hmm. Um, Incredibly driven. Um, It's so high energy. And that was really something that um, was important to me. Someone who was going to uh, support me sort of every step of the way um, because I had had seen how hard grad school was. 
And um, so I really got that sense from Seth and from the lab that I was in. I had a, a wonderful uh, lab mentor for many years um, before he defended and got a real job. Um, and I was able to work on the same project as him and take it in a different direction. Um, and so it really speaks to kind of the value of, of mentorship in science and um, being able to see yourself in other people and see uh, your own ability to succeed, basically. 19 out of 10 can confirm that uh, Dr. Cohen is an amazing individual. I, he's not my supervisor. However, I did uh, take his class for bioorganic chemistry, and like I, I already loved that subject, but I fell in love with it even more. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, Jesse, apart from science, um, I am also aware that you are involved in something called SWIGS. Could you tell me about what that is? Absolutely. Um, You're forgiven for uh, not knowing what SWIGS is, listeners. Um, But it's it's very near and dear to my heart. And um, it's something that I do that's just outside of my research. And I think it's really important as grad students that we have something that's outside of our research to keep us um, grounded and to just remind you that, um, you know, not everything is the failed experiments that are lab. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So SWIGS is the Society for Women in Graduate Studies in Chemistry and Biochemistry um, here at UC San Diego. So it's just one chapter here. Um, And uh, we were founded as the first membership-based group in the Chemistry and Biochemistry Department in 2011. Um, And basically what we do is just provide a community for women. Um, Women are still not 50% of our department. I don't know the exact number, um, but it can feel isolated as many of my ladies in STEM know. Mm-hmm. And so what we, over the years, have grown into is just a group that provides community. And so um, as of today, we are we are not a gender-discriminating uh, group. We um, have members of all genders, um, and we plan, uh, let's see, so we have meetings uh, once a month where we talk about different topics, someone different leads the meeting every time and brings an idea to discuss or brings some slides to share some information. Um, We bring in professors to discuss their experiences. Um, Some of our younger uh, women faculty have been amazing in supporting SWIGS and coming and chatting with us. Um, And we also do outreach in our local community, so there are different uh, events around San Diego that promote STEM for for um, young women, young girls in uh, like middle school and high school, and so we participate in those, um, just STEM outreach in general. And um, then the other thing we do is just work on like professional development and building connections for our members. And so we uh, have hosted seminars. We had a lobbyist for the ACS come out uh, a couple of years ago. We had a DEA scientist come talk to us. Um, and among many others, we're, we've been really fortunate to have a lot of support for, for SWIGS. Um, and then we also do things like coffee meetups. So Christine runs our coffee meetup, and it's wonderful. Every <laughs> month. We, we get a couple of carafes of coffee, and we just sit around and chat. And it's just something, again, to get you out of the lab for a second and get your brain off, off any science that isn't going your way. Yeah, I, I actually really do enjoy being a part of SWIGS. Um, I do remember, because I, I went to UCSD, right, for undergrad, uh, and then I found out about SWIGS, and so I was adamant about staying at UCSD, specifically because of <laughs> SWIGS. Well, okay, maybe, maybe not, but, you know, I'm, I'm here for the science, too. <laughs> but but SWIGS was definitely a big, was a, definitely a big uh, component of why I am here, um, and I, I do enjoy uh, SWIGS. 
Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. Um, I also know that uh, you have been involved in in facilitating and organizing the student-led research seminars. Yeah, so so this is something that came out of, again, a discussion through SWIGS. Um, We have a group that came to us from uh, the University of Iowa, I believe, um, and they just moved to San Diego, and so we got to meet some new people, and um, and they were talking about, you know, the differences in the two programs and how for theirs, for their master's degree, they had to give a department seminar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it became clear, you know, when they were saying, and a lot of people who had other experiences were saying, oh, yeah, speaking to, to the department in a research capacity is a requirement at a lot of schools. Um, but it's not here. And so depending on what group you're in and what your environment is, you may or may not present your research ever to anyone who hasn't heard it before and that's a huge skill to have right when we right. think about going out in the world and even you know talking to your grandparents or you know your loved ones about your science that maybe aren't as science literate or even um, uh, job interviews and things like that um, commuting communicating with the public about your science is something that it has become, I think, so much more important as time has gone on. Um, and so one thing that we, SWIGS, I started is the student research seminar series. And so it's not quite the full-length seminar that you imagine from a, a, a fellow professor speaker coming to campus. Um, but instead, for an hour every quarter, we feature five different student speakers who give little eight to 10 minute talks on their research uh, to a department wide audience. So the idea is that it's a general level talk, a very short kind of introduction to what they do. And it's designed to be something like a, a, a little sort of teaser of what they do. Um, and it's worked out great. We've done this for two years now. Um, we've had a ton of support from professors and from students. Um, and and we've been able to, to uh, hear a lot of students research and it's been just so interesting every time. 19 out of 10 can confirm I have attended these seminars (laughs) and they're phenomenal. I was just like, oh my gosh, like I had no idea that this is what they did. This is so cool. Right. I mean, it's kind of a hole because you have professors coming from, you know, all over the world sometimes, definitely all Mm -hmm. over the country talking about the cool research their students are doing. And so I can know more about what's happening in Sweden than I will, uh, you know, the lab down the hall. (laughs) And so that's something we thought we could, we could do something about. And we, we are in a small way. Yes, well, I am definitely proponent of these seminars and uh, super excited about... Uh, we're, we're having one this, this Friday, aren't we? Oh, yeah. So that's, that's a different kind of a thing. Oh. That's the, just for the, our inorganic division. Right. Um, we have been able to actually, over the summer, feature a lot more students for longer talks. Um, so this is on a smaller scale. It's not the whole department that I'm able to do this for. But I'm working with a professor here, Professor Alina Schiff, who's awesome. She's one of our new younger faculty members um, and she has been a real driving force along with me to um, we're going to feature I think 11 different student speakers over the summer for either 20 minute talks or 45 minute talks so the the longer length and and the more specific audience means we can really get into some good stuff and and uh, we've had done one so far and we're really excited for the rest of the summer well that sounds super exciting I'm super excited Uh, it's all good stuff um, well, Jesse, thanks so much for joining me and chatting with me. To the listeners at home, thank you so much for tuning in and chatting with us. It is always a pleasure to have you. 
If you aren't already following me on Twitter, you can do so at Chemistry Cake. That is at C-E-M-I-S-T-R-Y-C-A-Y-K. Remember to edify your village, and I hope to see you around for next week's episode. This is Chemistry Cake, signing off.